Romans chapter 6 is our text this morning. It says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has uh, died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. Well, I know, um, I know Josh had already said it, but um, good morning. Uh, if I don't know who you are, my name's Sean. I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. And um, yeah, Redemption Peoria is part of Redemption Church, which is uh, nine different congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. Each congregation is elder-led, lead pastor-led. You might have questions about what that means. We have philosophical reasons behind why we do all of the things that we do in that, that manner. So we'd love to help answer those questions. We'll be out in the lobby afterwards. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, but before I do, um, I want to just kind of give you a heads up because I know that you're seeing a coffin on the stage and you're going, what's going on? Um, especially if you're new, you have no idea what's going on. This morning is baptism Sunday and, uh, I'll explain all of that at the end of service, why we do things the way that we do. Um, I just want to give you a heads up kind of where we're going as a church, if you're not aware. Um, so we actually have spent the last 10 months going through the book of Ephesians. Last week we read through the entire book of Ephesians. We were done. That was it. We, we went through it whole year. It was awesome. It was super great. Um, and now we're in this kind of this five-week period, six-week period before Advent starts, because we always spend our time honoring the church calendar during our season of Advent. And what we're going to be doing is this week we're doing uh, Baptism Sunday. Next week we're going to be doing the Story of God Sunday, which is where we tell the story of God, the entire story of the Bible, uh, from the view of someone in our congregation who's an artist and using their platform, their way of uh, um, displaying that. So uh, is going to come up and walk us through that next week. And then the five weeks after that, we're going to go through the five solas, which is uh, really important to the Reformed tradition. Um, it's Reformed, honestly, just... It's important to the evangelical and the Protestant uh, tradition in general. And so we're going to talk about what those are, uh, why they are, what they are, how we got them, all that stuff. So that's kind of a generic outline where we'll be for the rest of the year because we'll pick it up from there to go into our season of Advent. So let me pray, um, and, uh, and we'll jump right into to Romans 6. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and your grace towards us. Thanks for worship. Um, we recognize that us singing together, us raising our voices isn't just preparing us for the sermon. Um, it's not just things that we do before we get to your word, but there's something very real uh, in these moments, and I pray that you would uh, continue to, to show us how you live there. Uh, we thank you so much for your word at the same time, and, and we're grateful for Romans 6. We're grateful for uh, having it, and we pray that uh, you'd be honored this morning. Um, and I, Honestly, I just a moment of gratitude, I think, from all of us. We're really grateful for the rain and for the weather. Thank you for that. It's a gift uh, that we, we get to enjoy today. So we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Uh, I want to start uh, with a quote by a guy named John Piper. Some of you guys are familiar with him. And then uh, quote a guy named J.I. Packer. John pa- Piper uh, says this, We Americans are pragmatists to the max. We want results and we want them yesterday. We want them simply. We want them without too much pondering and too much pain. And in the church, we have developed all kinds of Christ-coded remedies that are shallow and short-lived. We are not, by and large, the deeply rooted saints that some of our forefathers were. As Piper looks at the landscape of Christianity, there's a recognition, as he says, we are pragmatists, meaning we want results. We're practical. And so what we do is we take things to get results, um, but those results, because they're not deep like the people before us, are shallow and they're short-lived. And he ends up quoting a guy named J.I. Packer in this commentary on Romans. And Packer, talking about the old English Puritans from about 1550 to the 1700s, describes them as um, the big trees, the wide redwood trees that are in uh, California, how they're deeply rooted. Listen to how J.I. Packer describes the Puritans, uh, specifically talking of, describing them as redwoods in in California says this. They were giants whose roots were incredibly deep in the Bible and whose branches reached to the heavens and whose trunks were so strong and durable they could endure forest fires that scar them but don't kill them. So J.R. Packer, as uh, Piper uses Packer here to juxtaposition what he sees across the the American landscape, there's there's shallowness. Piper says, or uh, Packer says, if we were to look at uh, the Puritans before us, we would see strong oaks. Men and women who were were desperate for their Bibles. Men who even on uh, uh, the the point of being uh, uh, martyred would say, Lord, take all of my things, but don't let them take my Bible." These men were strong. These people were strong, deeply rooted in the scriptures. Now, Piper sees this, and so he then takes what Packer says, and he says this about the American culture. In juxtaposition, affluent seems for the past generation to have been making dwarfs and deadheads of us all. Now, we don't use the term deadhead, but here's Piper's uh, synopsis. His point is this. As we look at the Puritans, we see men and women who were deeply rooted in the Bible, that even when trials came, they weren't just thrown over. I mean, have you been, have you seen the size of those redwoods in California? They're gigantic. I mean, famous, they're, they're known for being able to drive cars through them. They've been there forever. And in juxtaposition, he calls us deadheads. Uh, it's a, not, a, not a, uh, a term we use often. It literally means like a, a leech, someone who um, like just mooches off of someone else. And this is what we get. We, we are pragmatists, and so we want results. And because we want results, we get shallowness. And essentially, we have men and women, maybe some in this room, who live off of other people's relationship with God. They themselves don't work through complexity, through density, when there's things that are hard to read, like the book of Romans, and we don't fully understand it. We don't even know we want, that's for the theologians, and I'm pleading with you, it's not. Man, my hope would be, um, I don't know, let's say in 50 years, uh, that one day, like I, my wife knows more than anyone, I'm a homebody, I plan on going nowhere. I want to pass this church till I die. Maybe not at Centennial, but we're somewhere. Uh, and as we go through this whole deal, as we continue, I, I hope one day I'm able to pass this on to another faithful man who's going to pastor this church. And I want to continue to be in this church in some form of counseling, uh, do something like that's my long-term plan. I just threw it out to you. That's what we're hoping for, okay? But here's what I would love to see, that in 50 years, we're doing this whole sage thing together. 
that we have lived this life, we're in it for the long haul, and we are wise sages. That we are like the redwood trees in California. We're not like weeds or winter grass in Arizona that, that, that just burns up when summertime comes. But we're in this for the long haul. And so uh, the reason I, I lay out and I start this before we get into Romans 6 is, this morning we're going to go through baptisms. And we're going to talk about baptisms. Um, we're going to have people be baptized. But if we're not careful, we think that the people who are coming up here or you who've been baptized, um, you think it was just something you did. It was just part of being Christian. And Christianity, unfortunately, in the last 60 years has celebrated baptisms. Oh, you want to be baptized? You're a Christian? Come be baptized. And we, we forget that for millennia, men and women have literally been killed when they go into the water. They're going in there knowing that from that point on, they are washed, known for being a Christian, and they'll be murdered. And it was a serious cost to them. And so I want to take a moment and be like strong redwoods and deeply understand baptism. So I want to explain it, but I want to explain it with density. So Romans chapter 6 starts with this question, and I got to give us some context because here's the question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that, that grace may abound? Now, for us to understand that question, we've got to understand Romans 5. Here's where Paul's coming from with Romans 5. Three big words for you to understand. Law, sin, and death. This is how he explains it. So next week, we're going to talk through the story of God. And when you see the story of God, in Genesis 3, we talk about it as the fall. Well, when the fall took place, we know that sin entered the world. Now, what sin did outside of creation, relationships, all that, what it did within us is it changed our desires. It it put up the propensity, the inclination of our heart towards the wrong. Meaning, in the book of Ephesians, we've been talking about righteousness, which is the right. The way of Jesus is the right. We naturally desire the wrong. Now, what Paul then explains is, here's how you could know you naturally desire the wrong, the law. So he explains that that sin was there before, uh, rules were were applied and you were breaking them, but here's how you can know all this to be true. And and here's the example that I can explain. Um, If you've got a five-year-old or like a six-year-old or even like a a four-year-old, honestly, some of you, a teenager, um, if you've got a kid and you're walking down a hallway, let's say a school, a building, a business building, whatever it is, and you're walking down the hallway and you say, hey, buddy, don't touch the walls because there's a sign on them that says wet paint, don't touch. Now, here's what's going to happen in your five-year-old's mind. There was no desire to touch that wall 10 seconds ago. No desire whatsoever. They weren't looking at the wall going, I really, really want to touch that wall right now. That was not happening. The moment you told them they couldn't touch the wall, they wanted to touch the wall. And this is what Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Exodus do to us. They show us that our wanter is towards the wrong. Do you see how you desire the wrong thing? These are laws that I'm laying out in front of you that are righteousness that you need to walk towards and you keep breaking them. Now, what then Paul does is he takes this idea and says, because you desire the wrong and you want to break the law, you constantly want to rebel against God. As you see all these things play out, there's good news in this. And this is the good news that we celebrate every Sunday we take communion for. And the person we sing to, it's Jesus. The declaration is this. Listen to verse 20, because it's important at the end of chapter five. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So here's what you can know. Your desire to do the wrong that sin that affects everything 
It is infiltrating the, the high powers, government officials, your family life, your work, your heart. Where that sin continues to grow, grace abounds all the more. As powerful as you think sin is, no matter where you are on this spectrum, some of you are coming in the room and you don't think grace is big enough, you're wrong. Because as far as sin goes, grace goes all the more. Sin goes all the more. And so quite literally what it's saying in verse 20 is, the more sin grew, the more grace grew. And so the question logically then is, well then, why don't we just sin? I mean, honestly, if you're saved because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ, why don't you just do what you want to do? I mean, check this out. If you're a Christian, you believe you're not going to lose your salvation. If you look at porn, if you cheat on your spouse, if you steal from your business, if you're a terrible parent, if you're a terrible spouse, you, you, you believe that. Your justification is sealed in Jesus Christ, not because of what you've done. So why not do what you want to do? This is what's called free grace. It's not a new argument, and Paul sees it coming. And so Paul asks the very question again in verse 1. This is what he says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And here is Paul's answer. By no means. I wish I could um, unearth how strong that language is. Like, he's like, no, no. Are you serious? No. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So here's the declaration. No, if you're a believer in here, if you say you're a Christian in here, You cannot just go on sinning the way that you want. That's crazy. And he gives two reasons. And this is what I want to unpack for us this morning. He gives two reasons why this is not possible. Death and life. Death and life. And here's the first thing, and some of us know this all too well. Because when you chose to be a Christian, here was your declaration. I'm with him. I'm with him. I watch him go to the cross. I'm with him. And when you declared that, your old person, your old way of life, your old habits, your old wrongness within you, the the, the wrong wanter changed. You decided to follow Jesus. And so here's your old person, and you go, man, I desire things, but now something's completely different. And so here's why you can't do it in the first area of death. Here's the reason this is so problematic, that you can't just go off and look at porn, you can't just cheat on your spouse, because you won't allow you to do it now. Before, you could do whatever you want, homie. You could do whatever you want. Now suddenly, like you're like, you're done with it, and you feel this strange new thing. We'll call it conviction. And you go, why am I feeling so bad about sleeping with her? Why is this, why is this bothering me so much? Because what you're trying to do is fit your old life into your new person. And your new person's going, wait a minute. I thought we were with him. I thought we were with him. And he died. He, he's only going where the father tells him to go. I thought we were submitting our life now to this person, Jesus Christ. And now being a new person in Christ, this is Christianity 101, we are pushing away, we are shaking off, we are continuing to shed our old person. Listen to the language. Romans 6 again. Uh, listen to it. Verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. 
that we go, no, I'm done. And we continue to deny, we continue to say, that old man is dead. Now, we know this. We, I, know, I know those of you who are believers know this like every minute. Like even, like you're going to walk out of here, maybe even some of you right now, you're thinking things you shouldn't. It's a battle and it's terrible. It feels like, man, like I, I'm with him. He died this death. He died it for me. And because he's justified me, now I can stand before the father. I'm, I'm forgiven, but this is, this is hard. I don't know what to do. And so suddenly what we find in death is that the grace of God is not just about forgiveness. Because if it was just about forgiveness, you can do what you want. No, no, no. It's about lordship. It's about the fact that now you submit your life and deny yourself. So it's not just about death, though. There's the first prong. It's also about life. Listen to this, the other part of this. I know so many of us know this, but let's be like red, um, redwood trees, uh, the redwoods in California, deep and dense as we process what this means. Listen at the end of verse 4. So where he buried his death and uh, all that, that Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, who too might walk in newness of life. So now not only are we dead, but here's the difference. Now we're walking in newness of life. So let's just stop because there's a lot to process here. Um, Does this mean for you who are believers that you sin no more? Well, we're going to find in the next chapter, Paul doesn't even believe that. Meaning in the next chapter, Paul's going to go, why, 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 why? The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I keep doing. Now I feel like I read that and I go, Yes. Okay. Now this, this is, this is the tension we live in as Christians that now we're trying to shed off our old life. We're trying to put on a new life and we feel like we can't get it right. This is called the process of sanctification. We are learning to be what he has already made us. So when we declared I'm with him, we watch And we watch Jesus closely as we read the Gospels because he denies himself. Nobody is denying that. We read the story of the Gospels and we're going, man, this, he gives his life away. And the story kind of goes on and it goes on. He's denying himself, denying himself even to the point of death on the cross. But then he's raised from the dead. And if we said we're with him and he has a new life, he's been raised from the dead, then so will we. And so we live in this tension. As believers, we live in this beautiful, awful tension that we are trying to be what he has already made us. He has already declared us perfect. And so you're fighting sin. Why are you fighting sin? Because that's not you anymore. You're trying to be what he's already made you. You understand? He's already made you perfect. He's already made you righteous, but your flesh don't know it. And so you're denying it and you're denying it. But here's the declaration. This is beautiful. This is so awesome. One day, as much as we can historically look back on the fact that Jesus was on this earth, we will too be able to historically look back and see that Jesus returned. And when he returned, you will receive a resurrected body. Now, if you're new or you're not a believer you're seeing a coffin on the stage. I'm talking about resurrected body. It's definitely weird at this point. Just, you're already in. People already saw you. Might as well be committed. Okay? So, so hear this. Here, here's how this whole thing plays out. If we said we're with Jesus, um, we will, as believers, go from this life that we live right now, and we will never experience death. We will not experience death. The moment that comes that every person on this earth, whether Christian or not, when that moment comes, the believer goes from life to greater life, to better life, to fulfilling life, 
Listen, if you've been baptized, you believe this. Now, here's why this is awesome. Um, let's just talk some theology for a second. Let's be dense redwoods. Here's how we feel. Here's, here's theologically how we would articulate this goes out because some of you have been taught you're going to spend all of eternity in heaven with God, and that's just not true. Here's how this plays out. If you die right now, you will be with God in heaven. Yes and amen to that. But the, the timeline goes far more like this. If you were to die right now, you'd be uh, with God in heaven. But one day Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, those who've died in Christ first, this is 1 Thessalonians, will re- meet Christ in the air and they will be given a resurrected body. According to 1 Corinthians 15, which we'll lead, uh, read in a little bit, they will receive the same type of body that Jesus received after he was raised from the dead. It's the spiritual, physical body. It doesn't feel pain. It doesn't die. You can eat whatever you want. Let's get it, okay? So as, as, we, as we see the narrative go on, you are in, in uh, heaven with God if, if you're dead. So let's say somebody who's a believer right now, the Apostle Paul, is with God in heaven. Jesus will return one day, and he will meet Christ in the air, and he will be given a physical body. If you're here on this earth, you will then meet Christ in the air, and you will be given, uh, I'm sorry, a resurrected body. And then you will meet Christ in the air and be given a resurrected body. And with these resurrected bodies, we will spend eternity here on this earth without sin. That's the way the true narrative of scripture goes. I'd love to help answer any questions afterwards if you have them. But the point is this. The promise lies in the fact that one day this fight of sin, and man, I know. It's, it feels like every time you win one battle in sin, you lose two. Every time you move forward, it feels like, oh my goodness. One day that fight will be no more. Those deceitful desires will be no more. But, but hear me, this is important. What Jesus has done right now is he has taken the control that sin has on your life and he's removed it. So even though you're failing, even though you're barely stumbling along in your sanctification, barely moving towards Jesus Christ, here's what you need to know is true. It's done. He, he's got you. Your heart has changed. Sin doesn't have to win. It doesn't. Before, you didn't have a chance. But now in Jesus Christ, sin does not have a hold of you. Listen uh, uh, from five on. Listen to the declaration here. I want you just to hear um, all the way to verse 11, how often he uses the words death or dead and life. Listen to how often he's talking about and describing uh, these two beautiful truths. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death has no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, here we go. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you uh, also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Sin wants back in, it's dead. No, 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 it wants back in. No, it's dead. The wanter's there, it's dead. You know the paint's on the wall, but he's given you this crazy desire to go, you know what, I know there's paint, but I don't want to touch it. Uh, like it's, there's a desire there, I feel like sometimes, but no, that's not who I am now. You're, you ha- you're dead to sin because Jesus was dead to sin. Now, it's really hard to understand this whole deal. 
like to use analogies, the, the one that I, I always find myself using is um, this, the, the idea of a ring in marriage. So I get the opportunity as a pastor to be in like the extremes of people's lives, whether it be in a hospital room or um, for a funeral or whatever it is, but also like baby dedications and, um, and, and weddings. So when I do someone's wedding, like everyone else, uh, um, you know, hopefully every Christian pastor, they're going to use some type of symbol. So we ask the best man, you have the rings, they give a bridegroom and they put these things on. Now, no one in there or even us in this room right now goes, yep, the moment they put the rings on, now they're married. When they take them off, they're not married anymore. No one says the power of the marriage is in the wedding ring. Now, I am married. I have a tattoo, which is not a sin, FYI. Um, I had that argument. Um, okay, so, so hear, me, hear me when I say this. Um, no one's looking at my tattoo or those of you who wear a ring and go, okay, so you're married when it's on, but when it's off, you're not married anymore. No, what, what the ring is doing is it's symbolizing the density behind the marriage. And it's really hard to explain death and life, but Paul gives us one. And it's, of course, what we see on the stage. It's baptism. But he doesn't just give us baptism. He assumes it. Listen to this. Let's go back to verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know? You ready? It's almost, listen to the assumption. Do you not know that all of us believers... All of us Christians who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Do you hear that? That baptism is this, when we were baptized, we were going, I'm with him. And just like a ring, we go, no, no, remember, you're married. Remember you, and even for those around, like some of you still looking for a spouse, I get it, okay? You're looking for a spouse, and you're looking, you're going, well, I can't be with her. She has a ring. Beyonce was right. It is what it is, okay? And so as you look, you see she's got a ring on. I can't, there's a symbol. That's a symbol, right? You're looking at it. And in the same way, Paul is going, when you were baptized, you were baptized into Christ. You went into the water. You came out of the water. And from this point on, remember your baptism. This is why our brothers who are Presbyterians, they do infant baptism, which is not the same as Catholic infant baptism. It doesn't hold any salvation, but they believe you're baptizing them into the community. We don't do pedo baptism, but their point is this, that they baptize their children as they sprinkle them with water and they teach them to, this is really important, live into their baptism. Remember, son, you were baptized. Remember that. You're accepted into the community of faith. You are to walk this out. And for those of you who have been baptized, you are remembering that this fight of sin to deny yourself, to be dead to sin, and to walk in newness of life, to one day recognize you're resurrected, is found in the symbol of baptism. Hear me. Remember, you were baptized. You were baptized. It's dense. It's not shallow. It's not something we just do. Let's get as many people baptized as possible. There's weight to it. Now, here's the last thing I want to encourage you with. If we haven't got theologically weird enough, I want to encourage those of you who are baptized in the room. And I want to do so with 1 Corinthians 15. And I want to read this passage. And here's why I want to read this passage. This entire passage is about us being raised from the dead, one day receiving a resurrected body. And here's why I think it will be encouraging to you. Because all of us in this room who are believers are fighting this sin, and it's so tough. Like, as we've talked, it's difficult But if you can just hear from the scriptures for a moment, 
It's not going to be on the screen. You can either listen to it or turn there in your Bible. If you could just hear from the scriptures a moment, this reality of being raised from the dead is really going to happen. It's not just some kind of ethereal, Christians are crazy, it's out there. It's really going to happen. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, If you want to just listen, that's fine. If you want to read it, you can turn there. We're going to start in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? I mean, that's a good question, right? If the dead are raised and that person's been in the grave for 150 years, like, is it tales from the crypt stuff? It's weird. It's weird. Like, what does that mean? Well, Paul's going to explain that. That was an old show. Millennials have no idea what I'm talking about right now. Um, You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the, uh, is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. Okay, stop. Here's what he's saying. Um, right now, I'm trying to get my gardening game strong. So it's fall season. So I'm planting, right? So I plant, let's say, sweet peas. I put this little pea in the ground, this little seed, and I put it in the ground, bury it, and we water it. Haven't had to water it in the last two weeks. It's been freaking the days of Noah. So, so what we have is it's, get, it's, it's being watered. It's getting sunlight. It's, it's starting to, to grow. Now, when the sweet peas grow out of the ground, and they're about like this big right now, planted them a week ago. As they grow out of the ground, I'm looking at that and I'm going, wait a minute, that's not a sweet pea. That's not, I put the sweet pea in the ground. It was a little ball. Like that's not a sweet pea. Well, of course it's a sweet pea. Like what I put in the ground was the seed. That seed had to die. And that's what a sweet pea seed looks like. But when it grows, it looks like something completely different. May I argue even more beautiful? And this is Paul's point. How do you not, when you, your physical body, when you go to die, it's like a, it's like a seed, it dies. But what will be raised, what will come out of the ground is a resurrected body. Okay, so he goes on. Track with me. Let's be strong redwoods here. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there, are some kind, uh, for, there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. His point is this. We could see that we all, not just in humanity, we're black, white, red, brown, whatever it is, but even like animals, they have different skins. There's different types of bodies. We'll know this. The spiritual resurrected body is different than our physical body. It may resemble it in some way, but it's different. It's a different kind of flesh. That's his point. He goes on to say in verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That makes sense, right? Here's what he's saying, okay? We know right now, we are flesh and blood. We know we're here. You know for certainty. Like clapping my hands, I exist. I think. I have hair. I, like I'm here, right? 
as I'm here, as I exist, I can know that I come from a, um, a lineage, a genealogy. I can trace my genealogy physically back to Adam. Now, as I do that, well, maybe I quite literally can't, but like we would, we would hold this idea. I can look back and I go, I am from Adam. And his point is now this. And if that's true physically, know it's also true spiritually. That Jesus came and you will be able to go in the same way Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be raised from the dead. Now, here's the great hope of all of this. I love the language here. Finally, it says this in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the trumpet, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this, is, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Hear me. It is good news to know right now you are fighting this. Your, your thoughts, you're fighting this. But one day, this will be transformed into a resurrected body. And this, the fight that is here, will be no more. And here's how you can know that it is true. Jesus was raised. He truly was raised from the dead. And if you believe that as a Christian, and you believe one day this fight will be no more, you will receive a resurrected body. Hold on hope. Don't grow weary in doing good. Remember your baptism. And so that's what we're going to do this morning with some people. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and your grace towards us. We recognize in this moment um, the awkwardness and um, honestly the strangeness that is the gospel message to the world. For us to declare that one day we will receive a resurrected body is something we believe at the core of our doctrines. And yet the world around us says we have one life. Live as much as you can here and now. I pray that we would fight against that posture. That we would know that denying our flesh to walk in rightness, in righteousness, is the path you've given us. And one day we will be glorified. We will be made whole, truly human. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.